0: Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices.
1: You are listening to 3CR's Spoken Word program, and I am George O'Hara. And this week we have a live recording of Rick Livermore, a.k.a. Rick the Most, live from the Dan O'Connell Hotel. Rick is a powerful performance poet hailing from the UK who enjoys taking inspiration from the both amazing and horrifying aspects of humanity to create works that question and deeply explore the world in which we live. He has performed at countless events and festivals all over the UK and his work has been featured by a number of worthy causes and campaigns including the National Union of Teachers, art exhibitions in Tasmania and Finland and notably he was commissioned by the BBC to write two modern war poems for their World War I at home tour commemorating the 100th anniversary of the First World War with a keen ear for rhythms rick used to work as a dancer but he has sustained a long-term injury which is currently halting that hobby however he has maintained his intense passion bordering on obsession for playing around with rhythms and rhymes in his written work taking each word apart and analyzing the syllables for all their worth so let's have a listen to rick the most
0: So I wasn't entirely sure what to do today in terms of poems because I've been performing around a little bit and I wanted to do a few things that maybe people haven't heard as well as some that you might have done. And I was on the bus here uh, looking for inspiration, which is not a good place to look for inspiration. And there were a couple of uh, teenagers that got onto the bus and I guess they were kind of worried about heading back to school. And they were talking about, I think it must have been like a careers day or something like that coming up. Because they were saying about, they were worried about like, what they were going to be. Yeah. And I really wanted to lean across and just kind of say to them, look, really, I've done a lot of things. And the best I can tell you is it, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it, it will change. But I didn't want to be, you know, like some bus stop philosopher. <laughs> and... So I said to them, yeah, you know, don't, don't worry about it. I just went with that. I just went, honestly, guys, don't worry about it. You know, I used to teach, and it doesn't matter. And um, one of the teenagers said to me, yeah, the thing is, I don't really like anything, though. And then I remembered why I don't speak to teenagers. Um, so it reminded me, though, of a poem that I wrote a little while ago. One of these, like, short pieces that you just kind of write in the moment, and I really would have liked to kind of read this one to them. It's called Worldly Wise, uh, but wise is spelt W-H-Y-S. So you see what I did there. <laughs> Poetry in the title. Worldly Wise. After a lifetime of my looking, gazing, glaring, staring, examining, trying to figure out its meaning, the world finally fed up, turned and asked me, what do you want? I thought for a while, sighed, replied, sorry don't worry, it's okay, I know I don't owe, you don't owe me anything, the chances of me even getting born were astoundingly low, let alone surviving, just living is more than any probability could possibly wish for, all the favours of everything have already conspired for my very being, so if I want something I have to go out and get it the world said I know I wasn't asking for my benefit thank you (laughs) A bit of a note just for Englishy things in this one. A CRB is a Criminal Records Bureau tre- check. It's like you're working with children's check. And 11 plus is just like a test that takes place at the end of primary school. So this poem's called Back Off. Um, hopefully, from that title, you get a bit of my tone already. And it goes like this So I've just started to teach, and uh, well, I can't do it anymore. Now, not with these changing government targets to be reached. I mean, how are these children meant to be taught properly? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want my opinion, which as a teacher seems seldom, one current problem in education is privatisation. It's corporations creating a profit-sized nation with prices dictating and prize motivation. Their prying eyes vacant push lies for more payments. So instead of happy, confident, well-rounded children, schools are measured on figures and average attainment and... Let me tell you something. You can't teach on averages, or at least, I mean, you really shouldn't. <laughs> and at best, averages just make people average. And the averages set by like, these overwaged and overaged, and frankly, overaged politicians miss the wonderfully varied preciseness in which our younger kids exist and need. But. Now their needs need to fit the mould and uh, kneaded into moulds by expert bakers and masterful makers of pastries and cakes. There's this guy at the top that does nothing but tasters. All of these people asked as advisors, but very few teachers. And even those who they do, if not in agreement, their opinions kind of kept secret. I mean, I can't say I blame them, though I really do. <laughs> because averages make it far easier to define findings that find what you've been hiding. I'll give you an example of how this can be damaging. Apparently, on average, our younger girls are managing the processes of creating and literature composing more than boys are. Put simply, girls are better at writing. And in light of this finding, the flood of resources for boys was amazing, but frightening, the reason being for the slight forgetting that this is an average and not everything. I mean, what about that girl who's struggling? Yeah, what about the lowest-ability girl? Who just happens to be lower ability than the lowest ability boy, especially when the highest ability girls are higher ability than the highest ability boys by more than that lowest ability girl is lower, because if you work it out on average, in this case, that girl that's struggling isn't. Okay, you can actually re-watch that bit on my YouTube channel later if that was too much. I understand there's a lot there. Um, it does work, I promise you. But sorry if that example sounded a little convoluted allow me to give you one that's undiluted. This oversight is like throwing it into the sea without giving her any lessons because on average women can swim. Now I know that sounds kind of mean, but isn't that just another word for average? And either way, learning to swim right now, it wouldn't be such a bad thing. Because this ship is sinking and the water level rising, which is kind of ironic according to the government's findings, because they say it's the only level that is. And suspiciously low levels mean more private owned academies. And talking of level, levels, I mean, what is with all those nowadays? I mean, why can't we just use names? I like to go into school and say, Good morning, Emily, not Good morning, Literacy Level 2B. Unless, of course, she forgot a capital letter and a full stop, then naturally she's not level 2B. But 2B or not 2B should not really be her question, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't care if she is 2B, 2A or 1C. I just want 2C and not the level, but to actually see that she enjoys literacy. Actually, no, more importantly, what matters to me is that she is happy and knows how to be. (laughs) I find a hug works wonders. But apparently... I'm too old and too male, so a CRB doesn't cover me. And a quick message to those parents who are pushing for 11 plus when their child is just in year three? That's sadly true and truly sad. And if I had my way, well, well, I'd just let them be. I mean, play in a tree, just stare at the sea. Why not dream and not worry about what they'll grow up to be? And when asked, be satisfied to answer, well... I guess we'll see. I mean, no child should be concerned about which university they go to or the standard of their degree. Oh no, not a 2-2 and at worst a 3 and avoid a 2-1 disappointing their mum. Yeah, only a first will quench their thirst and let them sleep tight under their Ben 10 duvets counting times tables in the night. Look, they're not a figure. They're not an average. They're not a political hook to bite. So just back off and let them be children. All right? There's a sadness in our soul Sitting solitary, sold, so many, solo, So low, so alone, so long So much longer than the less somber song That's so loaded with promise of someone to sing along with So sorry Sat citing the soliloquy of some sorrowful worry sown in so deep, so far from the soporific sleep we seek, seek, streep, steeps our consciousness in something sour. Something our sweeter side never sought, now short-caught thoughts still struggle to sort through, tussle the subtle troubles as we shuffle in the queue to be something. I mean, not necessarily anything special say with a purpose no that sort of service is surplus to the needs of the shining surface we stretch out to to service no our searches are for something free from responsibility from sustainability just something seen and that's a shame because so many of us if focus could shine as fast as the stars saw solar winds speak secrets to the universe and the galaxies within or you know what just be satisfied in our own skin, to show up on the sonar, a sign to say we've shown our bitter speech speeds peaks past the place their echoes reach. Understanding that whilst outside sometimes that breeze seems cease, the softest of strokes can inflate our cheeks and start a storm over sedated seas, if only expectation didn't speak so loudly serrate our sails at the seams so proudly shout success is a dish best served yesterday because today the rest are already way ahead in the distance and this is a race to the death yes it makes us perceive that we must be set in stone solid Pass the test one hundred percent, asserting our answers superseding previous chances, attempts. Yes, it's no wonder that we sit solitary side, petrified, scared to question the insidious sermon of some perverse serpent carving six 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 into our skulls like a surgeon's promises to release us from the beast of our burden. Save us from a smaller serving. Cause we're desperate. I mean, we're starving but there's sustenance past this split sense of stardom, this disparate martyrdom, this sickness that separates and sets us apart from the assurances as kids we would always hope made us human. I mean, perhaps we need to stop seeing those as fairy tales and lies and illusions, safe to the day we split and see through them just for a second. Close the curtain and raise the lights because this isn't a show so slow down no this isn't a showdown. it's not pistols at sunset or sunrise consider this the social night the audience isn't listening we set to before the samples and sound bites so tell me what does your consciousness sound like close your eyes what do you see Perhaps a similar simile of the simmering symphony that shimmering symmetry between you and me. I hope so. I mean, I'm not saying that we're the same. (laughs) Some stay sane, some stain from their experiences. I know if my scars were braille, fingertips would show an entire library of mistakes. Shelves stacked with regrets. Pages stripped from spines and societal scoliosis seems to have set mine somehow crooked since and continues to bend under the stress of the fractures sent through silver screens, streams, screams. So simple silhouettes instead of full stage sets seems to make it easier just to stand straight amongst all the rest, you know, all this stuff. Honestly, I'm really not trying to say that we're the same. I just want to be able to say that once we are more than the sum of that which divides us, multiplies us by the negative ones, leaving some feeling less than nothing, sitting solitary-souled whilst others sell those solitary souls for promises of gold or silver or celebrity or just a less lonesome simulation of reality, forgetting that either is really the subtraction of neither. I just need to believe that we are inherently good or at least not inherently bad that this sadness is a symptom not a diagnosis that if you feel alone it's not surprising when we're absorbing such hypocrite's hypnosis against our natural state of being if there is such a thing i guess what i'm trying to convey is if you're not actively seeking to upset someone you're probably doing okay when silence isn't always complicit and shouting won't always restrain, you're allowed to not know what to say, to stay or to sway. The greatest distance in us is the curve of the S. It's double that of what you has to stray. But when viewed at enough of a distance in every direction, the universe appears the same. So, if you're ever lost, seek where your soul started out and then try to head that way. very much thank you Um, i'm gonna do one more short piece in this set it's a very short one so don't panic and uh then i'm doing another little set later on so thank you for listening so far um i know that last line in that poem and it could be perceived as maybe a little bit overly simplistic or overly optimistic and i don't kind of mean it like you can just fix it like magic you know it's it's more complicated than that there's the rest of the poem you know there uh I don't like it when people kind of reduce things to this idea of magic. Um, I like to understand things. And so uh, I wrote this poem, and it's called Hidden in Plain Sight. This isn't magic. Everything that happens is explicable. The intentions may be confusing, the outcomes accidental, but it's always understandable even if we don't or want to understand it. And the distance between is just the something up a sleeve, the light silken handkerchief, the sleight of hand that can achieve success over the speed of sight and leave us assuming blindness, but we aren't blind. Just sometimes we allow others to lay lies over our eyelids, cast shadows in our irises because... We can't stop the sun from being hot, but we can turn away from its brightness, and that's not so unreasonable. I mean, some things can be so hard to grasp, to hold them becomes painful. So it's okay when we need to loosen our grip, if only to feel comfortable. As long as you don't completely let go. (laughs) Become the magician's fool. Because even though this isn't magic, it can still be magical. Thank you.
1: You have been listening to a live recording of Rick the Most, live at the Dan O'Connell Hotel. A quick word about the poetry scene in Melbourne. The Dan O'Connell has poetry in Carlton every Saturday from 2pm. Westward is in Footscray on every second Sunday at 2pm. The Owl and Cat readings on the first Sunday of every month from 4pm and Passionate Tongues every second Monday at the Brunswick Hotel starting at 730 There are a whole lot more readings and a lot of them do have open mic so please check out melbournespokenword.com for more info on the scene. Now let's have a listen to the second part of Rick the Most.
0: What's the time? All right. I guess it's time for me to get on then. Time to get up. Time for school. Time to get a job. Now no time at all. No time to relax. No time to breathe. It's time to leave. Time to see all the things there are to see. Time for me? No. We. Now child. Now three. Time to buy a house. Buy a bigger car. Time to get a second job. Now time at the bar. (laughs) Lots of time at the bar. But good things come to those who wait, right? Time didn't. Time flew, lost you, went too far ahead of me, played tick, tick, tick with life's list, won three in a row, thrown further than my tactics could tow me, so took time out, an expensive hobby, went to the bank for some time, they could loan me, felt like I owed me time to get to know me, got lonely, spent so long on my own interests, now the grown interest owns me. Try to work double time to pay off the debt, but no time for regret. The right time is never. There's just the time left, and it's running out constantly till too late. Inescapably, something will always be too late, but too little? No, nothing. Too much, if anything. Because in the grand scheme of time, except time, everything is. Thank you. It is tough, like we've constantly got this clock ticking by on us and, um, you know, if you're not paying attention, things just kind of pass you by like, in the blink of an eye and I can understand with the way things kind of are going on why people want to like, shut their eyes to it um, and that's fine, but as long as we accept that time is going to continue, things will still keep changing, whether you're looking or not. And so I wrote this piece called blink. We blink. And the world's changed. Disbelieving, rubbing eyes, blink one more time, and it's back again. Relax. Turn our back again, blink, turn back again, and the world's changed. And that change seems the same as it's ever been, but it's never been this bad, though it looks the same. Think again, like, loose change. Pretend for a minute that everyone is valued at one pound, and that's exactly what we all carry around. One pound in our pocket, maybe not a lot, but we've all got it, Blink. Someone changes a hundred pennies in place of your one pound. Doesn't sound so bad, does it? Because it's still the same amount, but why do we feel so much more weighed down? You see, when you carry only pennies, you measure only in a penny's worth. So carrying a hundred lowers each of your pennies' worth, so a penny for your thoughts becomes exactly what they're worth. Blink. They take away one penny. Blink. That doesn't seem that many. Blink. They say some people don't have any. Blink. They take away five more. Blink. They say you've still got 94 to make you blink and think, what were you moaning for? Left feeling slightly unsure as they walk away, you take a long, slow blink as thoughts in your head say, what was I moaning for? But before that, thoughts fully forged and formed and forced out through your forehead, they tickle, trick and trip your eyes till eyelids pulled fall forwards and in a blink the world's changed and the world's change is already jangling in hands keen on turning our coppers into shrapnel spent in foreign lands when you blink those windows to your soul are closed rather than staying open to stop it the whole time distracted not feeling fumbling fingers fishing in your pockets and like a trap again they're back again don't blink turn back again and you might just see from that hundred pennies in store there's only one coin left but That's all you had before, so that's all that is said. Yes, they say it's the same as it was before when we carried only a pound, but don't you feel less weighed down not having to carry all that change around. Thank you. So one of the other things we spend a lot of time on, I guess, in life, um, stupidly, is love. Love. Right, we we spend a lot of time on that, a lot of time invested in it. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that. yeah I'll talk about that. I'll do that. I'll do. I'll do. I'll do a bit of love because we haven't had a lot of love. But I'm going to do poets' love just to warn you. So, heartbreak, um, because you can't. Can you really? No, we're not up for that. Um, so this one was obviously inspired by heartbreak, which is lovely. But it was also inspired um, because my mum. Uh, she used to have this thing, she used to say, like, it's called Heartbreak and an Onion this one, and she used to have this thing, it's like an old wives tale about you can't leave half an onion and, yeah, obviously an English thing. Um, the reason being is it's meant to absorb all like the bad stuff out the air. Like during the, the plague, they used to leave open half cut onions to try and absorb that, and we saw how well that worked. So, I thought that was a nice, it's not true by the way, just in case anyone's thinking, it's, it's it doesn't, doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a nice metaphor for, for this. This is called Heartbreaking an Onion. A lasagna lasts me about four days now. My friends told me not to make so much of it, but you can't leave half an onion. And as I was cutting it, I thought of you. Now, this was never meant to be something as cliche as a poem about layers, but I counted anyway. And if we're labelling, we'd have to count cell membranes. I'd love to still have more names, fill in more ways. I can't even count on the layers, the times you killed me in doorways, but anyway. I remember at the start telling you that I'd always been cack-handed and I'd been cut in the past, so I didn't trust myself with knives, but you said you liked the unpredictability and reprimanded me guilty when caught using a guillotine. I was only trying to slice our onion evenly to keep it uniform, but then you informed me that you and I form so much more than those form uniformly. You said, uniform's for a man on a mission, and a man that's only missionary is forged in a form that can't be reborn, so can never please me, and if that's the way you slice an onion, how could you ever be with me? Like the knife, admittedly, your words were on point, but cut deep. Yeah, I remember late dinners on weeknights we'd fight you'd cry hug tight all right you wanted oriental cuisine me italian would settle on some form of chow mein carbonara yeah it tasted disgusting but i was hungry for two so no matter how hard to chew i tried to keep on swallowing knowing you would spit us out if you could so panicking i kidnapped your napkin as if pride could keep you swallowing our cocked up concoction i'd blame it on too many cooks but there are only two cooks to blame so on occasion i'd step out of the kitchen I mean, not because of the heat, but because when you're cooking, you tend to start picking. So by the time it's ready, you don't want to eat a bit like you and me. And I think that's about the time we started dining separately. Nothing serious at first. I mean, you'd cook something special on your own on Saturdays because you said you needed space. And for this, it seems you developed a taste because on Sundays, like Sundays, our eating arrangements remain the same. And... Despite the price we paid, we never could afford takeaways, so I could never take away the ache or pain or mistake the way you looked away when I tried to make us a meal for a change. Your hunger waned. You said I was making a meal, but of us again, which is such a shame because though I'm still sure you never strayed since you walked away, I've heard that what you've served up's tasted great but that's not really fair of me to say. (laughs) So sorry, I know we've both got a lot on our plate, but if I'm honest, sometimes I can't eat for days. So I'll make a lasagna (laughs) because it lasts for days. In fact, as I said, it lasts about four days now and I long for the days now when you'd help me out and if it wasn't for this days now that I can't get around, perhaps I'd be able to allow myself to not make so much of it. And I guess I'm still a sucker for predictability because I've headed back to cutting with the guillotine, kneeling with my head and back to the guillotine, back again to try to slice my life more evenly, but ending up with head and heart, both held separately, splitting myself into two, each wrapped up to protect me because though you don't like uniform, without you this uniform is all I have for safety. And when cooking, I still put too much onion in because you really can't leave half of one like you did because the inside shrinks and shrivels in till they just don't fit their own skin like I did and besides, they always make me think of you not just because the layers we've showed, shared and shed through but even though they don't mean to, they always make me cry like you and I still do thank you
1: Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week, so until next time, this is George O'Hara for 3CR's Spoken Word.